Hey, we're going to Philippians chapter two, verses one through 11 today. This is a passage that is a little weighty. It's a little heavy. You ever show up to the gym for a, a, a class and the trainer just has that look in their eye? Like, oh, today we're not messing around. You know what I mean? I feel like Paul had that look in his eye when he was writing Philippians 2. So this is gonna be one of those sermons that's gonna push you a little bit, but it's gonna be good for us because today we're talking about one of the most counterintuitive and I think for sure the most countercultural qualities that a human being can have. Today, we're talking about humility. So get excited. Hey, real quick, did you guys all scoot in? If you have seats next to you, we're gonna try to make some room for people. Thank you all for being here. Let's talk about humility. Father, we love you so much. We praise you, we thank you. Spirit of God, I get out of the way now. We turn to your word, would you speak to us? Would you teach us how to be a humble people? We pray in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. You guys can take a seat. Welcome to Red Rocks, Austin. On Tuesday morning, I was sitting right over there in our prayer area. If you're watching online, we have a little um, space for, for prayer in the back. And on Tuesday mornings, as a staff, we come together and pray. We pray for the events of the day we, or of the week. We pray for all the prayer requests that come in. We take time to, to pray for you. That's how we like to get our week started. On Tuesday, I was sitting right over there and I, my heart was so full of gratitude. Because here, here's the thing, on Saturday, we had launched our God Behind Bars location, which had been a dream and a prayer of ours for years, and it finally happened, and I was so thankful for that. And then on Sunday, I think we had like 60 people sign up to get baptized. And by the end of the day, 92 people got baptized. That's, that's, that's 92 human beings, individual souls. What an amazing day. And then later that, that, that Tuesday, we were getting ready for the women's uh, conference. And my sister-in-law, Sam, was putting together this sermon, which she crushed by the way. And it was this powerful night. It was amazing. And I had a, just gratitude in my heart, everything that God had done. But then that gratitude uh, changed for a moment. I had a thought, and uh, I'm not proud of this thought. And I thought, you know what? I need to just start my sermon by just confessing this thought. It's a safe place, right? We all know each other, kind of. My next thought was, oh, like, we kind of got this. Do you know what I mean? Like, we kind of, like, figured this whole thing out. Like, we figured out the formula. We, we cracked the code. We know how to do church now. Over the years, I've had that thought a few times and I'm thankful now that every time I do, it's like these, these sirens go off in my head. You know what I mean? You ever have the sirens go off in your head where you go, nope, 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 wrong thought, right? Because man, we are so thankful for what God has done in this place. We believe that, that we're just getting started, but this has always been and will always be uh, about us humbling ourselves before God, going, God, this is your church and whatever you want to do, that's what we want to have happen. So I thought it's a bit, it's a bit counterintuitive, but on the heels of one of the most impactful weekends we've ever had as a church, I thought, what if we just stopped? and just opened up Philippians 2 and humbled ourselves by talking about humility. Because nothing 
destroys momentum, like a good sermon about humility. That's kind of the point, right? Um, impact is amazing. And, and we uh, wanna be a church that has an impact on the city and on this world and on eternity as we make heaven more crowded. But if you think about it like a plane taking off, impact is one of the wings, humility is the other. And so if impact outgrows humility, it's going down. And so as we grow in impact, we, we, have, two, uh, we have a decision to make. We can either decide, hey, look what we did, right? And it's not going to work, or we can humble ourselves the mighty hand of God and say, God, this has always been and will always be uh, about making your name famous. Today, we're talking about humility. But here's the thing. It's kind of hard to talk about humility. You know, I remember years ago, one of the first mentors I had, I sat down with him. He asked me how I was doing. And I go, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm getting a lot better at humility. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, but that's like a prideful thing to say. And I thought, okay, yeah, you got me there, right? But it's like, but, okay, so, but we have to talk about it somehow. So like, how do we talk about humility? Because like, if you sit in a sermon and you hear a, a sermon about joy, the, the, the natural human instinct is, I'm gonna be the most joyful person in the world this week, let's go. Or if you hear a sermon about peace, it's like, I'm gonna be a peaceful presence everywhere I go. But then it's humility. And it's like, so I'm gonna be the most humble person in the world? Right, And so I, I, I thought uh, about a sermon title for today, and my first one was this, How to Be More Humble Than Every Other Human. <laughs> right? Just doesn't work. Feels weird. This one's even worse. How to Be Humble Like Me. <laughs> this has been a difficult week, trying to figure out how, to, how do you communicate humility. And so here's what I came up with at 5 a.m. this morning. A sermon about humility. What do we think? <laughs> uh, sermon about humility deserves a humble title. And so if you're taking notes, this is a sermon about humility. Let's turn to the word of God. Philippians 2, verse 1 through 11. I'm going to read it all the way through because um, it's just, it's such an important passage of scripture. And then we'll back up and we'll go through one verse at a time. So here we go, Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, here's our word, in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes into this amazing poem. If you're gonna memorize any scripture this week, memorize this poem. Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. It's also really dense, right? So, so just to give you an overview of what Paul just said, um, he basically just explained the, the entire Bible in a couple of verses. See, because the, the Bible starts with a man named Adam in a garden we call Eden, and he's living in perfect harmony with, with Eve and with creation, and most importantly, with the creator. Everything's good. They're taking walks every evening together in the coolness of the day. Adam has everything he needs, but there's one thing that Adam wants. He looks at God and he goes, wait a second, what if I could be like God? You know the word entitlement? Starts with the, the two letters E-N, it's the prefix. It means to put something on someone. So like when you encourage, you're, you're giving somebody courage. Entitlement is deciding to give yourself a title. Adam sees an opportunity to become like God. There's a, a tree, there's a fruit that he's not supposed to eat. And the, the reason, the lie that, that the serpent says is, hey, if you eat from that tree, you will be like God. And although Adam has everything he needs, he can't help himself. Entitlement sets in and he decides to give himself the title. Yeah, I wanna be like God. I deserve to, to be like God. Years later, Paul writes this beautiful passage that we just read. And, and by the way, um, we're about to dive into some deep theological water for two minutes. So put your thinking cap on, stay with me. And also give yourself some grace. We have the rest of eternity to try to figure out the mystery of what Paul is talking about here. Paul says that the Messiah preexisted in equal standing as God, the very nature of God, and yet did not consider equality with God something to use to his own advantage. And so in the greatest act of humility the world has ever seen, the Messiah stepped out of heaven you know that word entitlement we just talked about? Another prefix, D-E, means, means down. And so like, like descend, down the mountain, demote. I'm about to make up a word. Not allowed, but whatever. <laughs> Adam practiced entitlement, giving himself a title. Jesus practiced detitlement. Jesus had the title. Jesus was God. And Jesus goes, you know what? I'm not going to use my title as a way to, to get things for myself. Instead, I'm going to give it up. Uh, I'm going to give it up and I'm going to take the form of a human being. And now you're thinking, well, okay, so God became, man, that's great. He was probably like born in a mansion somewhere in Jerusalem, right? No, a manger. Bethlehem, 
out behind a hotel where there are no more rooms left with all the animals. Well, he probably had like paparazzi everywhere, right? Like, like Mary and Joseph's following must have like grown so much that day. Now a couple shepherds, some travelers from the east stopped by. That's about it. Yeah, but certainly if God became, man, he was rich, right? Dad was a carpenter, working class, probably grew up making tables and chairs with him. But certainly he was like this ferocious fear leader, right? Actually, he spent most of his life just empowering other people. You go give them something to eat. Oh, you're not ready yet? Then fine, watch me uh, again, but watch and learn because this is about passing this uh, along. Jesus steps out of heaven and then lives a completely humble life. Why? I believe it's because humility is the highway to understanding the heart of God. And that as a church, listen, listen, we're just getting started. I believe that with every fiber in my being. I, I cannot wait to see what God has planned for this place. And at the exact same time, in the other hand, I go, but we never graduate from humility. The more this place grows, the more life change we see, the more we get to do, the more humbler, humbler we become. The more humble we become. Adam practiced entitlement. Jesus practiced detitlement. I wanna be a church that does the same. So let's start back up at the top, Philippians 2 and verse one, and I'll just walk us through this passage and give you some, some practical ways that, that we can do that this week, and then we'll, we'll sing some more songs. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, Paul's going, hey, if the gospel is working, like if this is resonating with you at all. Hey, if you're showing up to, to Red Rocks and realizing that being an imperfect person pursuing a perfect God is an amazing thing to do and that, that Jesus paying the ultimate price for your sins is what like, like, like the purpose of your life is all about. If the gospel is sinking in at all, if any tenderness and compassion, he says this, then make my joy complete. Paul, leave that up there for a second. Paul reminds me of a, a dad at Christmas. You know the dad who like, you can't, you don't know what to get him. You can't get him anything. He's like, oh cool, another tie. Awesome. <laughs> he goes, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. That dad at Christmas just going, you know what I really want for Christmas? I just want everyone to get along. <laughs> like, can we just have some unity in this place? I picture Paul at the end of his life writing this letter from prison, going, hey, church, if what Jesus did as he stepped out of heaven in humility is resonating with you at all, can we just, can we just have unity? And no, I didn't say uniformity. This is important. I, I didn't say we want everyone to look the same or dress the same or talk the same or vote the same. My goodness, no. That just sounds boring. What we want is unity. What we want is to be unified under a bigger banner that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we come together in this room or, or um, at God Behind Bars or wherever you are watching this from and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords together. 
Secondary issues, third level issues, we talk about it. We, we have debate, we hug it out, we go eat some good food afterwards, right? But first and foremost, we're unified together. Paul goes on to tell us how to do that. It's what the world is, is so hungry for, by the way. Do you know that? The world sees a group of people who are unified, surrounded, or unified around love, they're gonna start listening. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Here's how we get there. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. There it is. You wanna grow in humility this week? You wanna be the most humble human who ever lived? You wanna grow in humility this week? Learn to value, truly value other people. I was given a gift years ago when I first started following Jesus. Um, I spent my first two summers leading uh, mission trips in Costa Rica. And I talk about it a a lot because it was pivotal for me. It was a gift and here's why. Um, Eight different times over the course of two summers, teams would come down for 10 days at a time and I would would, um, lead them. And so I would go pick them up at the airport. And when I picked them up, they would show up to the airport like this. Most of them like having like withdrawals from not having their phone. You know, like some of them are like phantom texting. You know, I was like, what are you even doing? Nervous, uncomfortable, looking down. And then we get them to pick up a shovel and start mixing some cement and start helping to, to build a home for a family that's never had a home before and start kicking a soccer ball around and start picking up some kids and having some vacation Bible school and start practicing their, their broken Spanish and, and working on it and laughing at themselves and getting their eyes off of them. Do you know what happened by the end of the 10 days? This became this. Serving others expedites breakthrough. And so in 10 days, we would see people break free of all sorts of shame, all sorts of guilt, all sorts of chains, all sorts of condemnation. They would smile. They would look you in the eye because humans have this this propensity to get caught in this me loop where it's all about me. But when we learn to, to put that stuff down and just value other people, I'm telling you, that's where the freedom is actually found. Humility is how we understand the heart of God. It's also the invitation into freedom. Some of the most free people that I know are also the most humble. He goes on to to say this, gets even more practical. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You wanna learn how to be humble? Learn how to get really interested in what other people are interested in. Can we just like... Real talk from a, an introverted pastor <laughs> who fell in love with the spiritual formation part of all of this long before he realized he would have to pretend to be an extrovert for the rest of his life. <laughs> Here's what I've learned. If I walk into any social setting and I'm starting to feel anxious, which happens all the time. If I sit in my car and I just go, you know what? I'm gonna get really interested in what other people are interested in. I'm I'm just going to go in and ask people a bunch of questions about themselves. And then I'm just gonna let them talk. You will be a a social genius. 
I'm telling you, this is all there is to it. Just, just come with a whole bunch of questions and get really good at asking other people about things that they're interested in. Here's an example. I don't really like dogs. That's typically how that goes. Somebody got up and left at the 8.30. Most people go, oh, you're a cat guy? No, don't put me in that false dichotomy. <laughs> hey, here's what I've learned. People love talking about their dogs. I love it. And so years ago, I just started asking questions about dogs. Wanting to see pictures of, of their dog. Hear the story about how they got their dog. And maybe at first I was forcing it a little bit. You know what I learned along the way? Dogs are incredible. Like they're, they're amazing. They're, they love unconditionally. They're quick to forgive. They're quick to forget. They like understand the gospel probably better than we do. <laughs> they have this like zeal for life, you know, this enthusiasm that I want. Learning how to get really interested in what other people are interested in is the, the best way to discover all sorts of amazing things about this life. You'll be amazed at how quickly you can start to, to gain interest, like genuine, not faked, but like genuine interest in things when you just learn to value other people ahead of yourself. I think dogs are great now. I'm still not gonna get one. <laughs> but, but no, like when I ask you, I'm not just, I genuinely wanna, wanna hear about it. I love dogs. C.S. Lewis said it like this. I really do. I feel like I like left something hanging right there. I, all right. C.S. Lewis said it like this. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. By the way, this was written in 1952, so we're about to encounter uh, a couple of words that we don't use today, but maybe we bring them back. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person. Smarmy is a good one. Think like, you know when, when somebody's trying to like sell you on something and they're like so like encouraged, but you can tell it's, it's, they don't really care. You know, smarmy. Smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course he is nobody. This is important. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap. And then get this, who took a real interest in what you had to say to him. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. You see it? I want us to be a, a humble people. That means we don't walk around going, look how humble we are. Just means we learn to value other people. And when people walk away from having a conversation with you, they don't go, so humble. <laughs> they just go, I really like that person. That person that like, gave me space to process stuff that's going on in my life. Rick Warren summed up that verse brilliantly. He says a humble person doesn't think less of themselves. They just, they just think less, sorry. Humble person doesn't think less of themselves, Nehemiah. They just think of themselves less. We got there, we got there. Um, hey, that's who I want us to be. But can you imagine a workspace? where everyone is humble, where everyone practices detitlement instead of entitlement, 
where everyone goes, hey, I'm in this for, for everybody else winning more than I am for myself. And here's the thing, entitlement is contagious. So is detitlement. Humility is contagious. You could be the, the, the first person tomorrow to carry that into your workspace with you. To be a humble people. Paul finishes by saying this. In your relationship with one another, I mean, my goodness, if we could just get this. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let's just go live like Jesus. He goes on to say this, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. <laughs> Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Read verse eight. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I took a whole seminary class that was all about how Jesus is fully man and fully God and how we've just messed that up in all sorts of ways over the last 2,000 years. And we just went through the entire Bible and so much of it was so difficult to understand, but our professor just kept bringing us back to Philippians 2 where we go, look, look at this Jesus, fully God, and yet in humility becomes fully man. And then in obedience lays his life down like, okay, I want you to really think about this right now. Ask yourself the question, why? God in his sovereignty could have chosen to save this world any way he wanted. And so why? Why take the form of a human? Why experience the betrayal of one of your best friends? Why feel the loneliness in your last hours as the rest of your friends leave you? Why experience the pain and the beatings that came? Why experience the humiliation of the cross? Jesus, why? I've thought about that question for years. Here's the only answer I have. I think Jesus wanted to give us a gift so that when we bow down before him and worship him, we know that we're worshiping a God who knows what it's like to be human, who knows what it's like to be us, who has experienced that loneliness that you experienced last night, who has experienced that betrayal that you experienced last week who understands both the beauty and the battle of what it means to be human. This Jesus who we are about to worship in a couple of minutes, he's experienced all of that. He knows. Hey, even if you feel like nobody else in the world understands, he does. Gets it. Blows my mind. And that's not the end of the story. The next verse says, therefore... One of the most important therefores in the Bible, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Such a paradox, right? Adam wanted entitlement. He wanted to be God. Jesus practiced detitlement. Again, made up word. And after practicing detitlement, suddenly he becomes the one that we all bow our knee to worship. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
I love that Paul ends this amazing poem about humility by just fixing our eyes back on Jesus. You wanna be humble? Get your eyes off yourself and value others. And then get your eyes up and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We bow our knee to the one who left heaven for us, to the humble king. So that's what we're gonna do. Um, I've, I've had lots of different endings to the sermon. And then on Thursday morning, I, I had a, a picture just pop into my head. It's just been on my heart. And so uh, I'm just gonna share it with us. It's about paddleboarding. I love to paddleboard. And uh, paddleboarding at Town Lake, uh, if you're not from Austin, Town Lake's a body of water on the south side of town. It's beautiful, it's so much fun. I love going out there because it's, it's peaceful and um, it's a way to just detach from everything that's going on for a, a couple of minutes. Um, but when you're paddling back in, there's always a moment. First off, it's super peaceful. And then there's another group of people that like to get off their boards and stand at the shallow place and just like blast music super loud. Because that's the point of enjoying nature. You know what I mean? I don't know. I won't say more. No, you know what? Hey, it's so hard to find peace and quiet these days. We have to work so hard. And then humans in our brilliance said, what if we created boards and paddles and we found a way to leave all the noise on land and paddle out into the quiet where we can have some time to actually breathe and process life and I don't know, maybe hear from God. And then a few years later, humans were like, infuse it with loud music. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting old. <laughs> hey, when you're coming back in from paddling, you pass that group of people standing there. <laughs> and then there's this moment where you have to go from the water to the land. And that's the hard part. So when you're just out paddling, you can stand and it's fine and it's easy. When you get close to, to the land, the water gets choppy. There's more people because it kind of bottlenecks right there. And it's like the place where you are going to fall. If you're going to fall, it's going to be as you're moving from the water to the land. And so tip on paddleboarding, here's what you do. If you're paddleboarding, when you get to that point, you're paddling, you're paddling, you're paddling. When you get to the point where it's time to go from the water to the land, you go like this. Just come down to, to your knees. That way you are closer to the ground. You're more stable. It's easier to, to maneuver. You're not gonna fall like that, right? And I've just had this picture in my mind since Thursday morning where, where I've just thought, man, maybe, maybe God set life up that way. That when we're going through changes, when we're going from water to land, when you're moving to a new place, a new city, maybe you're new to Austin, when you're changing jobs, maybe when you're pursuing a brand new career path, when you're starting a, a new relationship, when you're getting out of an old relationship, when you're leaving some of your old friends behind because you know that they're not a great influence on you and now you're looking for new friends, when you're going through changes, AKA every human being ever all of the time, you know what the best posture is? Stay grounded, stay humble. Paul ends that, that, that poem by saying, every knee shall bow 
He's giving us insight into the best way to live from a place of humility. It's counterintuitive. It's like you ever uh, been driving and you see a rabbit that's about to cross the road? And you're like, hey buddy, I've been driving a long time. I know you're nervous, I just need you to trust me right now. But the rabbit's just like panicking. You know, his like little body's starting to shake because he knows he needs to cross the road, but he doesn't know when and he hears the car coming. And you get closer and you see like his, his legs like going like that. <laughs> Buddy, I know what I'm doing. Just trust me, stay still. And then right as, as, as the car is going up, he just bolts out in front of the road and you have to like swerve around him, you know? I wonder if we look like that to God sometimes. Change is coming, change is coming, change is coming. Hey buddy, I know, I've been doing this a long time. I got this, I need you just to trust me right now. Instead of bolting out like a rabbit across the street, what if we learn to be a people that, that live like this? Every knee shall bow before Christ Jesus. This is the place of strength. This is the place where, where we find our, our footing to keep moving forward. The best way to do that, by bowing before God in worship. Letting God destroy the little box that we put him in. Here, when I was leading those trips in Costa Rica all those years ago, the very first trip, I was so nervous. I was, took the kids to a church service and I was about to get up and preach for probably the first time. I just went Philippians 4.13 because that's all I knew at the time. And I'm so nervous about what's about to happen. And then worship starts playing and it's a familiar song in Spanish. And I don't know the words, but I recognize the melody. And all of a sudden something just breaks. All of the fear goes away. The box that I put God in is just shattered because I realized this, this Jesus who humbled himself to become a man is now being worshiped all around the world in every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. That's a humbling experience. And so can I just say this? Be here on Friday night. That's where we're going to worship in English and Spanish. And if you wanna experience humility, like the humility of heaven, man, like Ethan said, Revelation 7, 9, there's something powerful about it. We're gonna start right now. So you guys stand to your feet if you're able. We're gonna sing two songs that both use the word hallelujah. I love this word. It's two Hebrew words put together. Hallel, which is to praise, and Yah, which is short for Yahweh, which is the personal name for God. So hallelujah means praise Yahweh or praise God. Man, you want to talk about humility. The highway to humility is getting our eyes off of ourselves and just singing hallelujah, declaring hallelujah to the one who left heaven for you and who we now bow before. And so, Father, we love you so much. Jesus, thank you for leading the way. Thank you for teaching us how to be humble. Jesus, we want to, we want to, to follow your lead. We wanna be a humble people, and so we humbly come before you now to declare hallelujah in Jesus' name.